the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hallelujah, everybody. Ron Geyer with End Time Insights. And I'm just making sure we got all our buttons on. We got everything going as we should have it going on. Brian, Mr. Um, Manager of whatever they do that we're on here with the radio, he's giving me the thumbs up, so we're good to go. Praise the Lord. I believe you're going to be listening to this on so-called Easter Sunday. We call it Resurrection Sunday because Easter is coming from a pagan holiday. We won't get into that. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if the world is going to be focused on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't care what day they want to call it, we will celebrate it in the name of Jesus Christ. He's not the little baby in the manger. He's not the brother that was stuck on the tree. He is the risen Savior. He is the resurrection. Hallelujah. And he lives in us. We're teaching on the book of Revelation. We're having a great time in it. Yesterday, our Bible study group is a little bit ahead of you. We're going through the seven churches already, and yet I am still in the introductory chapter. Chapter one of the book of Revelation is the introductory introductory chapter. It's where you get to meet Jesus Christ, the theme of the book. It's where you get to meet John, the revelator, John, the divine, as he receives instructions from the angel who received instructions from Jesus. Jesus is the author of the book. John is the writer of the book. And so we're going to continue on today, beginning in verse six. And this is an interesting scripture. It can seem confusing, but we'll get you to the point of what he's trying to say. Verse six, Revelation chapter one. Jesus has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is how much God loves us. He's already given us our assignments, and most of this stuff applies already. But let me clarify something here. It says kings and priests, and it's hath made. That's past tense. We are already kings and priests unto God. And yet some of the commentaries, it will tell you that that's written incorrectly. The better translation, which is more accurate, is, and has made us a kingdom and priests unto God. And the distinction is important. While others like Derek Prince say, yes, it's correct to read it has made us a kingdom and priests, not a kingdom of priests, but a kingdom and priests unto our God. It gets confusing there, which is why many of the translators, when they write it, they write kings and priests. Kings and priests is actually better clarity in describing what we are. In the Old Testament, Saul, let's use Saul for an example. Saul was the king, but he was not the priest. So there were two distinct offices in the Old Testament. You had the kingdom where the king reigned and he was the king of civil government. And then you had the actual priests, the Jewish priests, and they were the priests who served God in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. They were the ones that were charged with the spiritual overseeing of the people of Israel. 
What's great about this scripture now, when you read it as kings and priests, we're just not the kings over civil arena. We are not just the priest over the kingdom of God and service to him in the realm of the spirit. God has made the church kings and priests. We have both anointings on us. We have both callings on us. We have both assignments on us. So kings and priests, while it may not be exactly literally correct in the translation, the thought that we are power in both realms comes across when you write it as kings and priests, which is why the writers did it that way. Hopefully I didn't confuse anybody and you've all got it. Yes, God loves us so much. He not only washed us in his own blood. Look at this. We read that last week. Verse five. Let me quickly turn the page and go back there. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Phew. He not only has washed us our sins in his own blood, but he has also made us kings and priests in service to mankind and in service to him. That's an eternal assignment. And that's already been done. Because of what Jesus did for us, we now need no one to stand between us and God. The one act of this, of his shedding of his blood, dying on the cross, that one act has entitled him to eternal glory and dominion forever and ever. And has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's ruling over the kings of the earth. He's he's the prince over the kings of the earth. And he's also the kings of the children in the kingdom. We are kings and priests in his kingdom. Verse 7, behold. Anytime you see the word behold, take it out of there. Substitute the word wow. Or look at this in amazement. He cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, ouch, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. In my view, I see this as the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's the return of Christ. It is not the rapture of the church. It is the return of Christ. Behold, wow, he's coming with clouds. We are those clouds that he's coming with, or better, we are the clouds that he's coming in. He's coming back with us. We're riding white horses. We are here coming with him to witness his final judgment upon the nations, his final judgment upon Israel because they rejected him. This is the great and terrible day of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's truly a terrible day for those who've pierced him, wow, and have rejected him. They're in such trouble. You need to pray for them, the Pelosi's of the world, the the Schumer's, the, oh boy, there's so many, Cuomo, who's the guy from Utah, Romney. I mean, these are political people. And then you've got people in the natural realm, and then you've got false teachers and false prophets in the church. These people are about to be judged by God unless they repent. It will be a terrible day for those who pierced him and those who have rejected him and those who have counterfeited his truths. This will most definitely include the Jewish nation also. Zechariah twelve nine fourteen describes it as a great day of bitterness for the Jewish nation and a day of great mourning in Jerusalem. Not only for the Jews, but the nations of the earth will well also. A truly terrible day for the earth indeed. On the flip side, the good news, we are the clouds that he's coming back in. God's people are his glory. You, John 17, you are the glory of God. Hebrews talks about the people of God as a cloud of witnesses. References made to God's people in number as clouds. A truly, truly great day for us indeed. Verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was 
and which is to come, the Almighty. Let me take the last word first, the Almighty. It's written A-L-M-I-G-H-T-Y, Almighty. I get it. I love it. But anytime I'm teaching, anytime I'm writing, I change it to be A-L-L space M-I-G-H-T-Y, Almighty. He is Almighty. When he says, behold, I give you might, I give you power, I give you dominion, Luke ten nineteen. When he says that, I give you my power, dominion over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you, he is talking about the fact that this might comes from his eternal reservoir of might. There is no might given on the earth. People tried to steal it, but if it didn't come from God, it's not might. God gives his might upon his people. He gives it where he chooses. God himself chooses now to announce himself in verse 8. I am would have been enough, but he's going to be more specific. I am the Alpha and the Omega. He wants it understood. I am the beginning and I am the end. The Alpha and the Omega, that's the first letter and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. Basically, we would say he is the A and the Z. Well, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It's implied also that he is everything else in between. He's B, C, D, E, F, G. He's all of those in between. He is everything. He is all in all. There is nothing in Colossians that talks about Jesus. There is nothing that consists or exists that was not made by the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing in existence without God Ever. He is the Almighty. A L L. All might. All might. All might. There is no might in heaven. There is no might under heaven anywhere, anytime that doesn't come from God. If God doesn't give you might, then you have no might. What's so fabulous is he gives us might. He lets us use his might. He empowers us with his might for his service and his purposes. Ephesians six ten. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I think the church is going to have a better opportunity of doing more for service of God once we realize that we don't have to do these things in our own strength. And we do everything in our own strength. We're way too carnal to suit him. And if we would understand that the things that we're doing, we're doing in the power of his might, I think we'll have better success. I think it'll keep us from making the mistakes that we've been making. Verse 9, I, John, I love this. John's about to introduce himself. I, John, I love this how he does it. You know, Peter and Paul and other writers, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant of God. Look at the difference. Here's John. I, John, who also am your brother and your companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. There's a mouthful there. It it is fabulous. Every scripture that we read going forward is going to be supernaturally revealed in the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, the scriptures as they go, it's just amazing the things that he says. When we start talking about the the seven churches, you're going to see things about Jesus Christ that you didn't know. I, I stand by my statement. There is no better way to know Jesus Christ than to know him the way he wishes to be known. Does that make sense? And he reveals himself to the seven churches in ways that you won't ever hear taught upon in your Sunday service. We need to get back to teaching the book of Revelation. I pray we're still here before I get done with this. This is such a fantastic book. Okay, I, John. Typical John. This is who John is. He's not our leader. He doesn't say, I'm your leader. He doesn't say, I'm your pastor, though he was. He doesn't say, I'm an apostle, though he was. He says, I, John, your brother. I I love it. I love it. Just like Jesus. Jesus thought it not robbery to be called equal with God, Philippians 2. Jesus knew that he was God, but and he didn't think it was false for him to say that I'm equal with God. But he took upon himself the form of the servant. Hallelujah. I love this. And here's John. Not our pastor. 
not our leader, not our apostle, though he's all of those things, but he wants to be identified with us as our brother. It gets better than that. I not only want to be identified as your brother, but I want you to know that I am your companion in tribulation. Look at that. I, John, who also am your brother and your companion in tribulation. I mean, I love this. I read the Bible and I get a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. I know Jesus Christ. I know him because I read about him and because his spirit wrote the book. John may be the writer of the book of Revelation, but Jesus is the author of the book of Revelation. And he designed it whereby we could be known by him, whereby we could know him in a supernatural way. You know, I heard this once from my good friend, Carrie, and he says, you know, when preachers preach out of their minds... You receive it in your minds. It goes to your minds. But when preachers preach out of the spirit, it goes into your spirit. It sticks to your ribs. And these are the things that hold you. And you can tell when a preacher is preaching out of their thought life. And you can tell when a preacher is preaching out of their spirit. It's night and day. One's powerful, one's carnal. One's sensual, one's devilish. And the other one is your spirit to spirit, deep calling unto deep. You being fed the deep things of God by the Holy Spirit of God, which both lives in heaven and abides in you. Hallelujah. Look at this. I, John, I am your companion in tribulation. You know, it's like in the army, you know, you don't want to go to war alone. So, you know, you team up, you got a buddy system, you got platoons, you got squads, and you're always involved in warfare with other people with a like-minded calling on their lives to defend a nation, to take a hill, to rescue and free prisoners, whatever. But this one here, John says, hey man, I, I wrote the book of Revelation. I wrote the Gospel of John. I wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Hey, Domitian tried to boil me in oil and it didn't stick. I'm going through your persecution with you. Oh yeah, and Jesus is there by the way too. But I love the fact that John so humbly says, I am your companion in tribulation. That's good. You know, we get scared. We don't want to face things alone. He said, don't worry about it. I went there. I'll go there with you again. I love this. This is just John, a regular guy. You know, and I love it. The Bible says we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses in Hebrews. And, you know, to me, we have Bible study at my house, 25 people. It's a nice time. I need a bigger house. We have Bible study in our home. And these people, they're going through this time with me today. They're going through what I'm going through. They're going through the fact that I'm being uh, curtailed on my writings and Facebook. They're going through the fact as fellow Americans that we can't do anything. They want to force the vaccine on us. They want to go ahead and uh, remove us as normal people. They want to out. Lord Christianity. I mean, there's all sorts of things. They deny us our legal right to vote. All sorts of these things are happening, and they're going through it with me, which makes me able to face it just that much more fearlessly. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom. Amen. We are fellow partakers of the kingdom of God. We are fellow partakers of the principles of the promises from the kingdom of God. He is our fellow traveler in the kingdom as well. You know, in Christendom, you never travel alone as a Christian. There's always someone with us. We know Jesus said he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. That's a given. There's always someone with us. But as we make God's word live in us, as it becomes alive in us, I now not only know Jesus, I also know Peter and Paul. I know John. I know David in part through the Psalms that he wrote. I love David. But I'm never alone is the point I'm trying to make. Good thing, because John said that we need patience. Patience is endurance under pressure. It's endurance during tribulation. And he says we need patience. I am your fellow companion in tribulation, in the kingdom, and in the patience of Jesus Christ. That's great there. It's not the patience of Ron. That's my weak suit. That is not my strength. I remember they asked us to do a Bible lesson 
on the book, uh, what was it, The Love Dare, maybe. We were teaching marriage classes at Lakewood. And they said, Ron, well, actually, I gave myself the assignment. It was my turn. I wasn't going to avoid it. But the lesson was on patience. I hate patience. Not my strong I could not wait to get done with that chapter. And so the Lord went ahead and we did a good lesson and everything like that. But patience, and it's not Ron's patience. Ron's patience fails more often than not. But notice, John is my companion in tribulation, in the kingdom, and in the patience of Jesus Christ. I can go to him. I can borrow from Jesus. I can lean on Jesus Christ. It's his patience that I'm using to help get me through this. One of my favorite scripture is in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 10.4. Uh, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are they? Casting down imaginations and every high thing or thought that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God and bringing under captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ Jesus and having a readiness to avenge all disobedience that your obedience would have been counted as having been fulfilled. Translation, at the end, God gives us second chances to get it right. You know, he's not eager to judge us. He's not eager to punish us. That's not how he operates. He always wants us to get things right. He'll give us space to repent. He'll give us time to repent. But he wants us to get it right. He doesn't give A for effort. He doesn't pat you on the back and say, nice try. He expects you to overcome. He expects you to have the patience under tribulation, endurance when this persecution is coming against you. But you don't have to go it alone. Me, I'm doing it with the friends and the brothers and sisters, my wife, that God's placed you on the earth for me. I'm doing it with Jesus Christ. And I'm also doing it with John and with Peter and with Paul. Hallelujah. John says we need patience. I'm a better man because I married Diane. Diane is patient to a fault. I don't do life alone. I'm a better brother because of the people that God's placed in my life. I am a better brother because Brian over here has opened up doors for me on the radio show that I never thought possible. I never really had the dream. I was thinking back one day, well, yeah, we'll get on the radio. We'll do marriage stuff. And then this, the door opened and uh, Michael Fernandez, another good brother, says, Ron, make the call. Talk to Brian. See what the opportunities are. I did. Brian called me back the next day. Okay, we got you scheduled. Blah, 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 blah. We're all set to go. I go, great. So, and the bottom line, here we are. That was like 16 months ago. Praise the Lord. So in that instance, I didn't need any patience. I was just following the leadings of the people that God had me do life with. And it's been a blessing. I love this. I know that I know that I know that I'm going to be on this radio show until God comes and gets me. Hallelujah. I am a better brother because of people like you that listen. I'm a better brother because of the people in my church. I'm a better brother because of my wife, the people in our Bible study, the people I work with. Because of my enemies, I am a better brother. But you keep us pressing forward. You force us to do our best when you support us with your words. You help us endure the trials by your encouragement. I know you're here for us. I appreciate it. Just knowing that you guys listen blesses my soul every day. Look at this. I was in the aisle that is called Patmos, back to verse 9. I, John, your brother, your companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ was in the aisle that is called Patmos. Patmos was a little Greek island. It was west of the seven churches. I think it was in the Aegean. And just a very small little, I think I wrote it down here. Yeah, it was 10 miles by 6 miles. A barren place, a place of desolation and punishment, only one water source on the entire place. It's where they sent political prisoners. But it's not a typo in the King James when he says, I was in the Isle of Patmos. He literally was encased in rock. He lived in a cave. You know, there wasn't much growth there. There wasn't much grass there. He was in the cave. And that's what he was doing. That's where he wrote Revelation. I was in the Isle that is called Patmos. I was in there for the word of God. 
and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because the emperor at that time was Domitian. And Domitian was a wicked man. He was an uh, evil man. And Domitian sentenced him after he couldn't boil him in oil. He sentenced him to the Isle of Patmos. They threw him in oil. It didn't stick. And so he said, that's it. Out of here. Go to Patmos. But Domitian didn't send him to Patmos. If you read the scripture, I was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God. The word of God placed him there. The word of God sent him there. And for the testimony of Jesus Christ. You got to understand that the word of God is going to put you in places, man, that you wouldn't think it's okay to go. But that's God. You know, if you think everything good is God and everything bad is the devil, you'd be mistaken. There are good, there are bad things that God allows to happen to us because he has a purpose for us. And, and you know, if God were to tell you, okay, you're going to be boiled and all, that's not going to do it, but then you're going to go over to Patmos. And at the end of the day, God had a need to meet John in the Isle of Patmos. Wow, I can't believe my time is down there. Um, so John was in the Isle of Patmos and there was something God wanted to happen to John while he was in the Isle of Patmos. So what the devil meant for evil, God will use for good. And we see that happening here again. He was sentenced there for the word of God. The word of God put him there. Verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. This is really interesting. I love this stuff. Number one, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Understand something. The Lord's Day. This was not the Sabbath. It was not the Christian Sabbath. That's not what John's referring to here. He was in the spirit on the Lord's Day. Domitian was the emperor. And all these guys, they were pagans. They were idol worship. The big deal about the Roman emperors were they were exalting themselves as deity. Domitian was actually the first emperor to proclaim, I am God. He was the very first one. The next 10 did it also, but he was the first one. And the worship of Roma, the worship of Rome, the worship of the emperors was huge when we get to the seven churches in the next chapter. It was huge. They all had their own idols. They had their Greek idols. But on top of that, the Greek worship of Apollos, of Athema, of Zeus, uh, Asclepius, they were on their way out. And the worship of Rome was taking place right now. So Domitian was feeling his oats. And so what Domitian did, he declared, just like the Christian church had the Lord's Day where you worship the Lord God Jesus, he was going to make a day. And it was this Lord's Day that John is referencing. I was in the spirit on, not the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, I was in the spirit on Domitian's day. And I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And we must understand that John is referencing here not the Christian Sabbath, but the Sabbath of the pagan god, Domitian. Hallelujah. I love that on the day Domitian demanded to be worshipped, Jesus chose to visit John in a little rock island in the middle of a cave to give him a message that would be the most important message given to the church in our 2,000-year history. We see in Thessalonians also this trumpet, the sound of the trumpet, First Thessalonians 4.16. Remember, John heard this great voice as the sound of a trumpet. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And so we see here the description of the rapture of the church. And I think it's fitting that the trumpet is used both to get John's attention, who represents the church, and the rapture of the church when we're called home. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. We just saw that, the beginning and the end, everything in between. What you see, write in a book, 
and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. And then he lists the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So John is about to get something to write from the Lord Jesus. And it's really neat, and we're going to talk about this uh, next time we come back, because John knew Jesus the son of man, right? John walked the earth with Jesus for three years. He he laid his head on his breast during the Lord's Supper. John referred to himself as the one that Jesus loved. So John had an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And don't forget, John was younger than all the other apostles. He was probably 17 years old or something like that when all this was going on. No, I'm confusing him with Timothy. I take it back. John was definitely, though, one of the favorites of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was one of the sons of thunder. That's right, John and his brother, James. So anyway, when we come back next week, we're going to talk about the fact that John is seeing Jesus not only as the son of man, that's gone. He's seeing Jesus in his glory, and it throws him, and it throws him so much that he falls down and he faints because he can't stand to be in the presence of God. He knows Jesus. He knew the voice, but when he turned around to look at him, he goes, that voice doesn't belong to this guy because he didn't recognize Jesus in his glory. You're going to have that same opportunity as Christians. You're going to be able to see Jesus Christ in his glory, but you got to obey God. you got to come to know him personally. you got to obey him every single time he calls you. We'll come back on this next week. I hope you have a great Easter. Go to a church that teaches the Bible. Worship the Lord. Even if you don't go to church or you watch something online, give him the glory due his name. He is the resurrection. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.